Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by beautiful country music singer, Meg Doherty. How are you, Meg? I'm good, Danny. How are you? I am so good. I'm so happy to get you on the show. We met, <laughs> gee, when was it? Probably six months ago. Yeah. About six yeah. months ago in Gippsland and you were doing a support for my beautiful hubby Ash at that beautiful venue, the Menion Hall. Yeah, it was incredible. Oh. Not only that I got to support Ash, but that town hall is just superb. Yeah. Oh, that whole place was just like I wanted to move there. I was like, Ash, let's <laughs> sell everything. We're moving to Gippsland Hills. Yeah, I just absolutely loved it. Mm. It was so beautiful. And what I love before I even knew you were sober, and we were talking about we were talking about Dolly Parton. That's right. And then you went out and did sound check and started singing "I'll Always Love You." And I ran out with Aria, our youngest, who's obsessed with Dolly. And you just made me cry within about four bars of the song. <laughs> oh, you got to do a cover of that. Uh, I should, but I've never done it really. I just sort of guessed. <laughs> and because you guys said Dolly fans, I thought, oh, yeah, let's rip that out. But I hadn't, yeah, hadn't warmed up or anything. And I, I just love, but I love the sound there. Singing into one of those microphones, you're going to sound like incredible no matter what you sound like. Oh, I'll tell you what, you, you won me over, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, that's nice. You won me over big time. And then I found out you're sober on top of it. I'm like, oh, my God, I love this woman. So <laughs> you are four and a half years sober. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty excited when I found out you guys don't drink and were sober too because it's really rare in the music industry, hey. Like, I mean, it's becoming more common, but it is rare that we find fellow sober buddies. So I was really excited. It was really yeah. interesting. On I think I told you, but on that particular tour, Ash played in Rye. I can't remember the name of the support band that were playing in Rye. And there, there was a big rider out the back because they were young. They were like early 20s. I said, oh, we don't drink. So feel free to have all the beer and stuff if you want. And they all said, oh, none of us drink. I'm like, what? No, 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 you guys drink. And they said, no, none of us. And they're just there sipping their tea at the back being real cool. Like, how awesome is this? The landscape yeah. is changing in the music industry, like, so much. 
I guess because you as well have been in the industry for so long, when I guess when we were starting out, it was very raging and mm-hmm. there was just alcohol everywhere. I remember riders being part of your pay. You can have, say, $200 and whatever you want to drink. And yes. that was like you've struck gold. <laughs> I know, um, yeah. Especially for an alky, for me, uh, as an alcoholic, I was in my element. That was perfect for me, you know, great setup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. I love that it's changing, though. Absolutely love it. And it's just so cool just as we meet more and more musicians who are like, no, nah, not doing it or not nah, giving it up. So tell us a bit about your story. So you're four and a half years sober. Yes. Tell us a bit about your journey with alcohol, where it started and and how it got to this point where you decided you had to stop. So I'm an AA baby. The 12-step program has absolutely worked for me. I just adore it. And so what brought we're in AA, we share experience, strength, and then hope. So our past, what brought us to AA, and then what life's like now. So I'll do a little share. I was 14 when I started drinking and mum would buy me a four-pack of West Coast coolers to go to the party with and I couldn't drink them fast enough and I hadn't had any much experience with alcohol then but I just knew how it made me feel. It was amazing. It was ecstasy. You know, I just couldn't get enough. It made me feel confident. It it took away all my insecurities. Those years are really primal years of getting to know yourself and working out who you are in the pecking order. So it made me confident. It made me party girl. It made me... I always say that my alter ego was Marilyn Monroe. I thought it was amazing when I was drinking, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow, look at me. Um, My Mm. ego was huge. Still not much self-esteem though. And that's been my common theme through my whole life. So what happened was I was drinking and drinking and drinking, party, 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 party. And it was weekends. And that was okay because that's what everyone was doing in the um, the 90s, so like early 2000s. And then I got to the point where I met my husband-to-be. We were having shots at the bar at, uh, what was it again? Manchester Lane. Manchester Lane, that beautiful venue. Mm-hmm. That now it's, it's doesn't run anymore, does it? I don't know. I'm not sure. You probably, yeah, because you're a Byron. So down here in Melbourne, Manchester Lane was eating the bit. So I thought I was awesome. We supported his band and we were having shots at the bar and I thought, beauty, he's a drinker. This guy's awesome. And I had my eye on him for ages. And we ended up dating and then we moved in together and my drinking went from weekends to Thursday to Sunday drinking and then I went from Wednesday to Sunday drinking and then I went from Tuesday to Sunday and then it became my daily practice uh drinking at night I was drinking before dinner after dinner whenever I could weekends was I was still getting blind drunk at 30 my drinking was I knew it was different because I couldn't stop once I had one I didn't want to stop was he drinking that much he, no, he can control drink, so he can have two or three and he's fine. He can have one and he's fine. My ex-husband now, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I stuffed that one up, but that's okay. That's part of my story. So, yeah, like he was sort of a bit, I guess, ignorant to what I was doing or oblivious more so, and I was very conniving and very manipulative and I just I hid my alcohol amount of alcoholic drinking very well, I feel. Why were you hiding it? Like, was it because you knew that you were drinking probably more than what you should be? Yeah. I'd go to the pub after work on the way home and have two wines and then I'd get two bottles on the way home and I'd go home and I'd crack a bottle and I'd say, oh, I really need this drink. I haven't had a drink today. And so I'd already started drinking and I had, Mm. you know, it was just little lies like that and I actually started lying about things I didn't need to lie about. It became part of, again, Mm. part of my daily practice that I just lied about everything. I lied to the guys at the bottle shop saying it was a gift. The bottle of vodka was a gift for someone. I felt so guilty. I felt so much shame and I knew I was going to feel remorse with hangovers. I always did. So I know that I have a disease. I call it a disease, alcoholism, and that's what I learned in the program. It got worse. It gets worse. It didn't get better. And Mm. I went from drinking a bottle or two to drinking a bottle of vodka and then to drinking a bottle of vodka and a bottle of wine and it just was never enough. What, every day? Yep. A bottle of vodka and a bottle of wine every day? At the end of my drinking. You must have been yeah. shit-faced. Were you shit-faced or? Yeah. yeah. A lot of the time I just had a very blank look on my face and I guess people just got used to it. <laughs> and so was your husband, I mean, he obviously would have been aware when you were drinking that much that you are shit-faced. Yeah. He actually mm. said to make you're an alcoholic. So we we actually parted ways in June. We got married and then nine months later he just said, no, 
I can't do this. And because I, of the drinking, did he give you an ultimatum at any stage or say it's me or the booze or? I don't think he really understood. I think there was a lot more, a, a, a lot of deep-seated issues. It wasn't just the booze. It was just, it was everything. It was the relationship. It was toxic. He'd had enough. I'd had enough. We didn't have a healthy, a healthy line of communication. It was just, it just got really bad. And Mm. It was never, I guess that we couldn't pinpoint it to the booze, but I know now, looking back, of course, hindsight, I think it was a lot of me drinking and a lot of the booze and a lot of who I was when I was drunk and a lot of who I was in between drinks, not mm. just because I was so shitty and mm. so horrible and my brain was just constantly anxious and I was a very, very nervy, anxious person in between drinks. And as soon as I had a drink, I changed. And that's that old personality change. This is really interesting. It's not something that's come up before. Noticing who you are in between drinks and then what happens when you have the drink and if there's a significant shift, then obviously, okay, we've got to do some work here because if we're really not okay in between drinks, then something's not okay. What were you looking for in the alcohol? What were you hoping it would give you when you were on your way home of a night? What were you craving? A lot of the time, so I'm run-of-mill addict. I know that. And a lot of alkies admit to that. I was an addict with food, with smokes. I'd chain smoke. I'm an addict. So I just needed something to fill that void. I have a void in me. I call it my disconnect from my spiritual relationship with God. My God, as I understand him, not God, white cloak, Jesus with the long hair. Mm-hmm. My God, as in a higher power, something greater than me. My disconnect was what kept me so thinking that I had the power and I had the control over everything. It was more a, when I drank, I felt at ease. I just felt immediately everything's going to be okay. But what happened was I just could not stop after that one drink. So then I wouldn't know which way I was going to go. I could have ended up at the casino till 5am or I could have gone home and had a bottle of wine and gone to sleep because I was so tired. I just didn't know which way it was going to go when I drank. Mm. And that was really scary. Yeah, that's that's a terrible feeling. This thing about having a void, obviously, and and wanting to fill the void with something, have you, I mean, it's good to say it's a disconnect. I think it's a disconnect from the self. That's how I look at it. Have you managed to find out a bit more about that void and what's lying beneath that, why the void is there in the first place? Well, I mean, look, and I've heard a lot of your podcasts. I've done a lot of work with childhood trauma, things like that, with psychologists because AA is fantastic. It's kept me sober. But I also had to do a lot of work with psychologists to work out why Mm. I was so hungry for something to fill that void. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really essential. And also for people listening, like if we kind of don't get to the bottom of why there's a void or when that void started or what created that void, then it's, there's no real healing there. Yeah. So it's so essential to work with someone to kind of get to that trained professionals is um, great. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I always say in my shares at AA, I say, look, I, I haven't done this on my own. I've had to really reach out and get help. And I do a lot of meditation, so much meditation, as I've told you about insight mm-hmm. timer and I do a lot of inner searching and forgiveness mainly forgiveness of, of what's happened and what's happened in my past and just with that I mean I'm one of four girls I'm a middle child immediately feeling that inadequacy and that feeling of not good enough was always a narrative I told myself people pleaser one of those just yes people and I guess yeah I've just done a lot of work with trying to hear why I am like that And what I can do now to fill those, because there's so many little things, practices you can do and a lot of cognitive um, cognitive behavioral therapy. I do a lot of that, a lot of words on the walls, a lot of you are good enough and that sort of stuff I have to read because growing up as a female in an all-female household, apart from my dad, a lot of competition, a lot of how you feel about yourself and what you look like and living up to expectations and all that sort of thing with other women. We told ourselves some horrible things as young girls and looking at magazines and looking at things like that, we always compared ourselves. And it wasn't until sort of now I realised it really doesn't mean a thing because as long as you're telling yourself you are good enough and you're beautiful and you're wonderful and what you're doing is a good thing, that Mm. void seems to sort of slowly slip away. It doesn't feel like such a big hole anymore, but it it does take work. 
it takes a lot. <laughs> it does take a lot of work and it takes commitment. Like that you have to have a certain level of commitment to your own healing or to your own, like changing the way that you speak to yourself. It's hard. Like it's a bit of like, you've really got to kind of stick with it and really be on guard and protecting your mind and protecting your inner inner self from those words that come up sometimes. And I was saying to my group the other day that I was horrendous in the way I'd speak to myself and treated myself and couldn't look at myself in the mirror and all those things. And now I never say it. There's never a bad word. I just don't ever. I I wouldn't even, I couldn't even entertain the thought because it, but it took, it took work. It took some, Yeah. yeah. It just makes me so emotional because from a very young age, we do bash Mm. ourselves and I don't entertain any negative talk to myself the same now. And having girls yourself, you'd hate for them to talk to themselves like that. Oh God. Just the thought of it. And I have a young daughter, I've got a stepdaughter and and I just think, oh my gosh, I just hope she never has to, you know, I hope we're woke enough (laughs) and we're we're really working enough to understand that we don't need to talk to ourselves so horribly. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. This theme, um, I'm interested in self-forgiveness. It's been something I've been talking with my grads group about. I opened up the discussion for a chat the other night and it was really difficult for some people to be able to find, because we're talking about finding gratitude in your suffering and in the struggles or the things that you've maybe done when you were drunk that like, I guess it's okay for me, say, talking to them because I'm five and a half years down the track. There's a lot of separation from it now, but I, I am really grateful for some of those times where I got so fucking shit-faced and couldn't remember putting the kids to bed or letting the kids down as hard as that was and it still hits my stuff but if those things hadn't have happened I wouldn't have changed it had to get that bad for me to change and now look where I am and I'm pretty extreme kind of person so I wouldn't have probably gone to this extreme as well if I had just been a couple of drinks person then I don't know what I'd be doing not this job so I'm so grateful for those times so anyway in this discussion just a few of the a few people in the group like I just I just can't get to that place where I'm grateful for it and I just find it so hard to forgive myself some of those things and how do you find forgiveness in things that you've done in your past and letting go of that yeah, and I'm the same as you. Like there's still stuff that hits my relationships with my sisters. I let a lot of people down. I hurt a lot of people. What I like to say to myself is, would you do that sober? And also, have you done that sober? And then I say to myself, okay, what do you need to apologise for? What do you need to tell people you are sorry for and make amends for? Because that is the program of AA. All these tools are not unique. They're not the things that I've learned are all AA based. I haven't learned these on my own. Is what I'm doing in sobriety the next right thing? Am I doing the next right thing? Okay, so then if I wouldn't do it sober, I'm not going to do it again. So I think I can forgive myself for that change when I drank because I don't have that change anymore. I'm not that person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about the person who made those decisions, say in my case, she wasn't a very happy girl. She was in a shit place and she wasn't doing any work on herself and probably was a bit lost and all those things and had no idea of how to to feel better at that point other than to get shit-faced. So having some compassion for that version of myself. And like you say, would you have done that stuff had you have been sober? And usually the answer is always no way. Way, yeah. oh Meg, some of the stuff that I hear from people that I coach, like some really full-on things that take place because of alcohol, and you're like, oh my god, like next level stuff, and you just think, you poor thing, to the point where people just can't even bear themselves because of choices that they've made and things that they've done, and just trying to find some forgiveness for that, and it takes a while too. It's not just an overnight. Oh, okay. I'm just going to choose to forgive myself and that's done. It takes a bit of time, I think a bit of processing. I like to notice how it feels in my body because I'm so body-based as well. But remembering something and it hits my stomach first and then it moves up to my chest, I can sort of feel this whole burning sensation. And now rather than go, oh, don't like that, Uh -uh," think about something else, I just sit there and relax around it and let it kind of move through and just let it be, let it be there, let it surface up and then let it go. And I find that's really a good practice too, rather than push that feeling and that energy back down. Well, if we cut ourselves, it doesn't heal straight away. It needs Mm. time. A physical metaphor helps me. I just think I don't like that cut's not going to go away straight away. It needs time. Same Mm. thing. I'm going to sit with it. I'm nurture it Mm. and let it heal. Yeah. 
Yeah. And one thing for sure is that shaming ourselves just doesn't help and it keeps us so stuck in that cycle as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, shaming is pointless. All it does is, yeah, it does keep us stuck in that cycle. And I'm all about the nurturing, which parts of of ourselves are we nurturing and we're we're nurturing our negativity, self-doubt, that horrible self-talk. That's Mm. what we're doing when we're shameful. I grew up Catholic, so everything I do is shameful. (laughs) (laughs) living breathing talking so I had a lot of work to do around shame (laughs) because I'm not against any religion but from what I've experienced in catholicism is yeah there's a lot of catholic guilt there whereas I'm learning in my attachment with my spirituality I am fine the way I am I'm okay I'm a good person I do the next right thing we are humans we have desires we have wants we have needs it's okay to meet them it's okay you know so long as I'm not hurting myself and that was the biggest lesson I learned in sobriety was anything to do with hurting myself or not eating, starving myself or eating too much, binge eating or anything I was doing was tied to self-hate. It was tied to that void. It was tied to not liking myself. When you put it in perspective, I do everything now to try and be kind to myself. And I'm human and I do catch myself out sometimes and I'm PMS time and I'm really grumpy and I'm angry and I want to eat five cheeseburgers. Or And I'm human and that's okay, but I catch myself out now and I say, okay, so what are we really feeding here? What are we doing? That's seeing psychologists, counsellors, that's working out what the pleasure system in the front of the brain and and all that. I've learned a lot to become this person who does not want to hurt herself. Mm. And for normal people, it's just normal not to want to hurt yourself. The normies, the two drinkers, people that don't have that deep need for connection, that deep need to fix whatever's going on, those normies that just go out there and about there and pay their bills on time and don't worry about if they're going to drink too much or yeah, mm-hmm. Just, I'm glad I'm an Elkie because I definitely needed something for that connection. You know, to yeah. work out why I need that connection. Yeah, so true. Tell me a little bit about this, the next right thing. I've heard that before with another person that I've had that have has done the 12-step program. What's the next right thing all about? So when you're drinking, you're not really concerned about the next right thing. All your inhibitions are gone. You do whatever you want to do and whatever your drunk ass is telling you you want to do the next right thing is the best thing you can do for your sober state so for me helping someone out like am I being helpful am I being of service the next right thing for me is like my house is a pigsty today and I need to clean it it's so small it is the smallest things that equate to the best habits Mm. smallest things that equate to the best habits that's so great so it's noticing okay yeah yeah my room's a mess the next right thing can be to clean that up so it just sort of clears the space in the mind as well declutter is that right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I love that Okay, so the next right thing for me today, I'm going to go swimming because that is my jibe. I just love swimming. It relieves everything in my body, gets all my lymphatic system moving. It's just the best. Mm. And I got addicted to swimming, by the way, when I first got sober mm-hmm. because I'm an addict. My friends, yeah, yeah, said to me, just get addicted to something else that's not self-harming, that's not going to hurt you. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go swimming. So 6 a.m. every morning I would go swimming for an hour and a half. I'd do one hour and a half of swimming flat out mm-hmm. and I got so hot. like. <laughs> I was hot to trot, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I met my partner to be so and, and had two babies, so go figure. Yeah, so that's because you look so hot. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah. you know, swimming, yeah, it, it helped. But now the next right thing for me will be swimming. And then I don't really think too much in the future because then I just get really overwhelmed and I think I just don't think it's necessary to overwhelm myself about what I'm gonna do tomorrow mm. or the next day or whatever. I have plans and I have goals and things like that. I just, I don't think it's necessary to overwhelm myself. And it's the same concept in AA, 24 hours. We have 24 hours in a day, one day at a time. Mm. I won't drink for today. Mm. So I'm just going to do the next right thing for today. I really, really love that. Just even thinking if you're getting yourself into a flap, okay, what's the next right thing I can do to like say help myself to feel better or to connect with myself, but what's the next right thing I can do? I love that. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So the next right thing for me, beautiful. Well, for your peace of mind and your serenity. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. We should write a song about that. Let's do it. I had my guitar here and I started writing something before you came on and I was like, oh, so I quickly jumped on and recorded it. So, yeah, I'm getting the juices 
really keen to write. So. Awesome. You better send to me after this. So tell me a little bit about at the start when you first decided to stop because you were drinking so much. Did you have to go into detox or go to hospital? How did you, how did you manage that? No, look, I've looked it up. I looked up rehab and my mind was telling me I couldn't take that much time off work, whereas I'd called in sick every second day <laughs> or as long as I remember. I was uh-huh. in marketing and sales and I, d- I was doing a job in um, in, the ta- in Melbourne town. I was driving in every day, so hungover. And by the time I finished drinking, my husband, long gone, I'd had a relationship after my husband, I had a boyfriend and he was great, but he was a big drinker. He had four kids. And oh, by the way, so for me, the drama that came with drinking, if you put five guys in the lineup, one of the five guys, four of them are fantastic, lovely, genuine people and don't drink and very kind and would love me just for me. And one idiot in the five, I picked the idiot every time. That was my history. And no offence to the boyfriends I've had, sorry, guys, and some of them have been lovely and husbands, but it was the way I felt about myself. How many husbands have you had? One. (laughs) (laughs) But boyfriends, sorry. Yeah, that's one singular, one husband. (laughs) Yeah, put him in a lineup. I picked one that was going to be not good for me. And I shouldn't say asshole. I should... Shouldn't say that because the one that was not good for me or the one not the good choice for me because I the way I felt about myself I I didn't feel like I deserved love or anything like that so I'd been through I'd gotten to the end of my drinking I'd been through a relationship and you were talking earlier about what brought you to stop drinking and feeling that shameful about what you've done and all that sort of thing I call it the gift of desperation mm. and that term is again gift of desperation. I was given the gift of desperation. I had nothing left. I was drinking myself into uh, early grave and I just wanted to end my life. I was just at the end, mentally, emotionally. My mum has said to me, you can't come back to the house if you're drinking. My sisters had stopped interacting and my sisters are my closest friends. They're my go-tos and even they had really pulled back and just, no, we can't help you. We know. Why? What was your behaviour like? What were you doing? I was just so toxic very manipulative, very lying, saying I wasn't drinking and I was and I was drunk around my sister's kids and I was finding things to fight about and I just was not good company, 100% not the person I am today. Mm. I was very insecure and my sisters say I was super sensitive. So if someone said to me, oh, you look good today, what do you mean? Don't I look good every other day? Or I'd start to pick, you know, and that gets tiring for people. People just back off. My insecurities and my my alcoholism had just just totally taken over my life. I'd lost way more than money. I'd lost so much. And I was living with a couple of girls and they rang my sister and said there's something wrong with Meg because that was the first time I'd been out of a relationship living with other females that didn't drink like I did and I was passing out and like totally wrecking because what I used to do was buy something that I had to, took hours to cook so I'd drink and cook and I thought this was awesome you know having a party on my own and then I'd leave the kitchen a just absolute mess and sort of make my way up to bed and pass out and that was every day and my sisters rang my family and said no nah, there's something going on with me what's going on and I just came clean and I said I'm, I'm just not coping I hate myself I don't want to live anymore and it took me saying it out loud to really realize that I needed help were you waking up or trying to stop or were you waking up thinking this has got to change like were you worried about it like how mm-hmm. I was worried all the time I was anxious I was a mess and I knew I had a drinking problem but I just didn't want to stop drink- I didn't want to have to stop drinking completely because I knew mm. that's what I had to do abstinence but my biggest fear was how was I going to live my life without having a drink Mm. I couldn't have a drink it's very romantic the thought of a glass of wine and some brie and crackers (laughs) very Mm. romantic what wasn't romantic was what happened after that glass of wine and the brie it was just it just didn't stop so I had tried to stop I tried dry July I lasted a day I tried sober October I tried stopping on my own accord. I saw a psychologist. I went to the doctor and said, I'm, because my liver was so bad, my liver was so bloated. I said, my stomach's so big and I don't know what's going on. And he said, oh, have you tried stopping fructose? <laughs> Did they and know I how thought, much you were drinking? 
no. not at all. I never was honest about how much I was drinking. Mm. And I, I thought, oh, I better stop brute then. But I didn't stop drinking. That's the lies I was telling myself, that it was the food I was consuming and it was this and that. It was never, I tried not to focus on it was the alcohol. And so it got to the point I was given the gift of desperation. I got completely sober on the 2nd of October, 2018. And that was... Sorry, I've got to ask a question before that. Okay. What was the last, the very last time you drank? What did that look like? And or what was the actual thing that put the nail in the coffin for you to go, right, that's it? Yeah, so I had rang up AA during these awful times of my roommates, me and my sisters, and rang up AA and lied and said that I wasn't that bad. You lied to AA? Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Everyone knew. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Everyone knows before you do. It's everyone knows that you've got a problem with booze before you do. And so I <laughs> did the quiz online. Oh, no, I'm fine. Blah, blah, blah. So I tried AA and I said, no, I can do it on my own. So I tried and I lasted two days again and I didn't do it on my own and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then I got six months of sobriety up and I decided to go. I got back with my part, my ex-boyfriend, my partner at the time and... I decided, I thought, oh, no, I can control it now. I've had six months off booze. I can control it. Went to the casino, had a wine in the hotel room and ended up drinking the bottle within 20 minutes. By the time I got downstairs, I was ordering double vodkas in soda water, telling my partner it was soda water. Fuck, so it's just on. On, like that. So if I ever think to myself it wasn't that bad, these are the things I need to remember. Hey, but they're the great wake-up calls, aren't they? That's our greatest teacher right there. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. That I mean, they they are great moments. They're moments to be like, that's a gift. Yeah, it's so at the forefront of my mind that I remember that. You know, it is right there. What happened then was my partner and I broke up. Hang on, and- tell me about the rest of that night. So you're telling him that it was just soda water. And I just got wasted. And he was a big drinker too. So we both just loved it. We were just party made. Except I couldn't stop, and he could. And then we broke up, and I just thought, right, I'm going on a road trip. So I took myself on a little road trip. Hang on, I've got yep. another question. Sorry. I want to know, after that night, did you resume drinking again the next day or did you take time yeah. off again? No. Back into it the next day? Straight back into it, yeah. Right back as you were? Yep, right back oh, as well. Yeah. Yep. It's like lighting a fire in my head. That's exactly how it is. That's how I explain it. <laughs> and so we broke up and I was just like, I've had enough of everything. And I went on a road trip and I got really, really drunk at Mildura Country Music Festival on the 1st of October 2018. Mm-hmm. I got back, don't know how, woke up in the hotel room. There's a glass of water next to my bed. I was fully clothed on the sheets. Don't know how I got back there. I vomited all day on the 2nd of October, all day. Oh, and I rang my sponsor at the time because I had just ignored him going, nah, I'm not going to talk to him because I just want to drink. And he knew, he knew something was up. He knew I wasn't that like sober. I was just sort of dry. So I rang my sponsor and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I give in. I'm done. The gift of desperation. And that was the point. And I have not wanted or felt it necessary to pick up a drink since then. Wow. One day at a time because there's bottle shops and there's ads and there's booze fucking everywhere Mm. it is everywhere and it's a constant reminder of what I did and and who I was and why I drank and hey you're feeling a bit bad about yourself today why don't you just grab a stubby or and that was for the first couple of years it was horrible you know really Um, really yeah yep now I don't get it as much because I've done all that work Mm. I've done that work of you don't need it you bet Mm. you're gonna be great to yourself because you love yourself and you don't want to hurt yourself so yeah that was it that was my final straw and thinking back it was just divine timing it was just that was the day it was supposed to happen that day supposed to happen that moment and I made an absolute fool of myself on the can't remember I was around all the musos were you playing that at that festival no, I just went to spectate. I should have been playing, but lucky I, you weren't, because then you'd probably never, never get another gig there again. <laughs> oh, absolutely! <laughs> but I found that I was quite okay drinking and playing. I built up such a tolerance, uh, you know. Mm. Um, I just felt like I constantly smelt like wine. So since then, sobriety, and it has taken AA. I've had to use AA. I've had to attend meetings consistently. I've had to really do the work. And sobriety for me has been an absolute game changer as it has for you, as it Mm. has for anyone I know that's been long-term sober. It's just, it's incredible. It's feeling the life that you want. It's having the life that you want. 
and it's having the choice because I get to choose what I want to do today. I'm waking up and I'm going to clean the house and I'm going to go swimming and I'm going to make an awesome dinner for my family. My two children that I've been able to have in sobriety, mm-hmm. two children in sobriety is pretty huge because a lot of people get sober after they get that chance to have children or they've had children and they've been drunk. As you said, you can't remember sometimes putting your kids to bed. Mm. That would have been me, 100%. You aren't alone. And there's so many women that have had to live through that and had Mm. to come out the other side and forgive themselves and love themselves and it's okay because you wouldn't do that now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Desperation, hey? Like it's... Okay, so you've woken up on the the 2nd of October and you're chucking your guts up all day. What kept you there though? What stopped you slipping back, say the next day and that little voice in your head says, come on, just have one, you'll be right, you'll be right. How did you navigate that? I had nothing left. And when I say that, I mean it. I had nothing. I had no one left too. I pushed everyone away or I was lying to the ones I loved that loved me. And I was sick of it. I was just so sick of it. And they say, you know, all these sayings in AA, sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was just sick and tired. And I've heard your story too about what happened on your last drunk and how you got sober. Mm -hmm. Pretty much the same thing. I just got Mm -hmm. sick and tired. It was like a merry-go-round. And you just, I just couldn't get off. And there was just I caught divine timing of, no, I'm not doing it anymore. And I started AA and I started swimming. And then I did the work, but it all sort of also happened for me because I was doing the work. So I was never one to accept help or accept good things. I was good at self-sabotage. I was good at stuffing good things up. I started to open my hands. I go, okay. And I had a connection with God. And I was like, okay, what are you going to bring me today? What's going to happen? I started meditation. I started all the good things that older sober members had suggested for so long. And I thought, well, I haven't been doing that and it's it's, it's not working for me. So maybe I should start doing that and it might work for me. And it did. And That's right. That's one way of doing it. It's just like, if I want to change and everything I've been trying hasn't been working, then why don't I try and do it the way that person did it. If that doesn't yeah. work, then try how the next person did it. Give that a go. You always learn from the people that have been there before. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is something I appreciate so much about you with your sobriety is that you have so many people on this podcast, all different ways of getting sober, all different ways. But at the end of the day, it's all about self-love, regulating, making sure that you're working on that self. Because if we're not, we usually runs rampant and we can't really control it. We have to be really, really conscious of how we're treating ourselves mm. and how we're looking after ourselves. And in that, we can look after others and we can be there for others. And that's step 12. Our primary purpose in AA is to, is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. My role now as a sober alcoholic is to help others. Mm, that's I it. Love that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Because what was, what was so freely given to me, I need to give away. Amazing. So good. How has life changed for you now? Did it take long to establish the relationships again? which the alcohol had sort of created that divide with? Yeah, still, it still comes up, Danny. It's still nearly five years on. My relationships with my sister, my mum. My sister recently texted me sort of because I just had a baby and it's been really hard because life still happens when you get sober, right? And as you say, you sit with it when things happen and you sit in it, you let yourself feel it, which is it's absolutely beautiful. Things still happen. My uh, The day before my daughter was born, my brother-in-law died suddenly of aortic aneurysm. He was 36, left two children behind my sister's husband. And so the day before I went in for an elective Caesar, my brother-in-law died. Holy Things shit. Still, yeah, terrible, horrible. And how did you cope with thing, that? Well, the last thing on my mind was a drink. The first thing on my mind was my sister and her kids and what I could do to help. Well, I couldn't do anything because I was about to be cut open and have a child come out of me. And so the last six months have been really hard. And I'm not talking about my sister here, like, because obviously like terrible and and heartbreaking and life-changing. But for me, it's been so hard to navigate being able to feel happy about having my daughter and feel such grief losing my brother-in-law. And that's life. Life sometimes gives you these really hard things at the same time that you have to sort of navigate. My sister said to me, you talk to me if you're going to, you know, do anything or drink or whatever. I think she was quite concerned about me. And and I said, yeah, like, I'm okay. But that's life. Life does happen. But today my ability to cope with it is 10 times stronger. My ability to cope with problems in life now, the tools that I have and my capacity is a lot bigger. Mm. I carry a little knapsack around of tools that I whip out when I need them. 
And I go, okay, this is going to work for me today because I'm feeling down or flat or whatever. And those are the times you need these tools the most. So the relationships with my sisters, I've broken their trust in the past and I've been really unpredictable and sick and they still worry. It's true though what you say that the capacity to deal with with things changes. It's like I'm almost so much better at dealing with especially big things now that I'm sober. It's just it makes such a big difference to how you you actually cope. That's, That's incredible true. that you've been able to cope with that loss and then also uh, motherhood, early motherhood. It's it's massive. Well, yeah, and not without help as I say. I'm very open with what I have to do to stay sober. Yeah. Because if I'm not, I can't really help anyone else. What do you have to do to stay sober for you? I need to go to AA because that reminds me that I believe I am an alcoholic mm. through and through. I can't mm-hmm. have one drink. Uh, I need to see my AA buddies because they're as crazy as I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to constantly be on the lookout and constantly be aware of what is not good for me. Mm. You know? mm. Yeah. So it's like reminding yourself that to connect with people. So just keep yourself reminded. Yeah. If I go and have this one drink, I know where this is going to lead. I think that's a good reminder. Remind yourself, connect with other people and stay on guard. Yeah. Yeah. And drive places. I always have my car ready to go if I need to go from an event. That's great. Because we need, and I heard Mark Purser talking about this in one of your podcasts. He thought he was going to a wedding. And he was so surprised there were other sober people there. These days, yeah, I find that a lot more, which is fantastic. And I don't yeah. focus so much on the booze, so I don't really notice it as much. Yeah, when you're like that, it's much healthier. Like I feel healthier that I can enjoy a wedding or enjoy an event for what it is. I don't yeah. go there and go, it's all about the booze. But I always have a getaway car. <laughs> I call it my getaway car. Getaway car, yeah, I, I love that. I always have an out if I need it because if I feel unsafe or I feel like I'm got tempted or as I said, doesn't happen too much these days. I need to be able to get away and go somewhere safe. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Making sure that you're safe and that you can get away if you need to. So important. And it's so true. Like how much more, like I really do enjoy things now when the whole focus used to be around what would be drinking or what drinks are available. I remember going to a friend's wedding once and I knew it was going to be shit wine. So I took my own expensive wine and a little esky. I mean, who the fuck? What a snob for a start. <laughs> and but it was all about, I was so obsessed with what we we're going to be drinking and, and the wine. And now it's like, I don't even, obviously don't even think about it, but actually they're enjoying the moment and enjoying the people that I'm talking to and actually having a good time and, oh God, and remembering it. <laughs> and it's possible for those that- So possible. It's so possible for those that are struggling with booze. It's achievable. It's out there. And there's so mm-hmm. many of us. I love the story of hope with a lot of sober people. They just give so much hope and that's the best part that if you're in a bad place or you're struggling, there is hope and there's help. There's always hope. That's why I do this podcast and that's why I have so many different stories on because there's always hope. doesn't matter how far gone or how not not far gone. There's always hope to change and there's always a possibility of change and it can be so good on the other side. Mm. Yeah. My sponsor always says to me, there's nothing too good for the sober alcoholic. And I love that. What does that mean? So there's nothing too good. If you want that beautiful piece of cake or if you want that Ferrari, you get that Ferrari. You work hard and you get it. There's nothing too mm. good for the sober alcoholic. You deserve it, you know? Yes, so because true. we so badly for so long. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm so into, well, self-care for me is so important and it's not negotiable for me. And I really make sure I treat myself well, make sure I carve out time, particularly in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter how busy I am. Even if I have to set my alarm, even if it's only 10 minutes, but to do like say yoga nidra, not negotiable in the middle of the day, but also the start and the end of the day or getting a massage. It's not all the time. You can't afford it all the time, but when you can, I really like really enjoy it and just really cherish it and think, yes, I deserve this. Yes, yes. that's right. And not feeling guilty because, right. yeah, we're allowed to, as I said, we need pleasure and we need nurturing. We're really just a big bunch of babies that need nurturing. We need help. Absolutely. So. Yeah. This is so awesome, Meg. Like you're just a fucking absolute champion and I love your story <laughs> and you're just amazing. You've got such a great energy about you. Tell me, what have you found the most rewarding thing on the other side? What's been the greatest thing that you've got out of your sobriety? 
peace of mind. My mind rattled so much. Mm. What comes with peace of mind is the next right thing. What comes with peace of mind is being able to have two children. I never thought I'd be able to have kids. I wrote myself off. I just thought, no, no, I don't deserve kids. I just want to drink. Peace of mind has just brought me so much joy and so many, not just monetary things, but just, yeah, people driving terribly on the road or little, and I'm human, things do get to me sometimes, but there's no way known I'm the same person I was because Mm. I can just breathe through things. I breathe Mm. through things. I have peace of mind and I'm calm and collected and I can help others. And at the end of the day, a selfish life really is quite boring. We're put on this planet, I believe, to help others. And yeah. I can. Yeah. And it's only because of what you've been through. So it's yeah. such a gift. That's right. I always jump on board with younger, the people that come into AA that are nearly sober. And I give women, because it's women for women, men for men, although my sponsor is the complete opposite of me. And he's like an absolute legend builder. We're so totally different, opposite ends of the scale. But there was just a connection there. And I just, we just get along so well. He's the godfather of my son. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, he's he's just great. He's like 15, 15 years, 14 years sober or something. Just having awesome people in my life and it's just so good. I just love sobriety. I'm so into it. So I just, Me too. I just can't even believe, like when you meet a sober person who's been through the journey, just how much you can connect with them and you just love them. Like yeah. they're just like your little soul brother or sister, especially yeah. when they're a bit down the road too because they've done a lot of work on themselves and yeah. they want good things for themselves and they're a bit deeper. They've done the good stuff and there's just that beautiful connection. It's so lovely. Well, we're searchers, you know, we're searching. I've been searching for a long, long time for something and I didn't know really what it was, but it was sobriety. I think when I meet someone that's been sober for a while too, like when I met you and when I heard your story, I think what I love about the person is I think that person had to get real honest at one point in their life. And so for me, there's a real groundedness to that. Mm. It doesn't matter who you are, but if you've had that point in your life where you've had to get honest then you've got real and I love real people and grounded people. And yeah, I think that's what I also love about people that have been on the journey that they've yeah had to just get real at some point. And there's nothing more beautiful in a person than authenticity. It's strength, isn't it? You know, mm. absolute strength because not everyone can do it. And they say there are unfortunates that cannot be honest with themselves and yeah. they don't survive it. So to my core, thank God that I got sober when I did and I met the people I did and the people in my life Mm. are those people. They're honest. They got vulnerable and they got strong. Yeah, it's so amazing. It's all about getting honest and in in that moment where you're actually like, oh, it's time to get fucking honest with myself. This is bullshit. This is not working. Nothing changes if nothing changes. That's exactly right. So true. So (laughs) if you could go back and talk to your 14-year-old self, what would you say to her? Oh, God, I've never been asked this question. This is tricky. Try and love yourself. Don't buy into the bullshit. Don't buy into the bullshit. Wouldn't that make a great T-shirt? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, <laughs> I want to get that made up for my girls. Yes. It's really cool. Yeah. That's you should cool do that question. as your next T-shirt merch stuff. Well, let's write a song called Don't Buy Into The Bullshit. All right, yeah, you're on. It's a grunge song, by the way. <laughs> Can't we keep it country? Sure. <laughs> My daughter would be happy. She's so into grunge at the moment. That's <laughs> awesome, Meg. Thank you so much. You've got your guitar there. How about banging out a little verse of I'll Always Love You for me? <laughs> I've never had anyone know. sing on the podcast. Oh, I wish you could sing with me. If I should stay, I would only be the way, so I'll move, but I'll know, I'll think of you every step of the way. Buddy, Zoom cut out. Fucker. No. I love yeah. that. I don't know why it does that, but I got up to every step of the way. Damn it. Probably knows we're playing music. Oh, well, I got the first couple of lines. Oh, my God, it's covered in goosebumps. Bloody Zoom cut out. Oh, my God, I nearly started crying again. Tell you oh. what, I'd, I'd just pay anything to just have you sit and sing that to me all day. <laughs> I'm repeat. 
It's absolutely beautiful. You are beautiful. If anyone wants to hear your music, like I would just say go and see one of Meg's shows. Are you touring anytime soon? What's happening with you? Well, because I have the little critters, it's a little hard and I have six months, seven month old. So I haven't really booked in anything, but Mm. I'm definitely planning for next year. I really want to do a new album and I've got so much stuff on Spotify, Bandcamp, all the socials. I'm on Insta, I'm on YouTube, everything. But I have no cover of I Will Always Love You yet. I want to see that up there. That'll be fucking amazing. So Meg Doherty, so if people want to to tune in and hear you, go to all those sort of platforms and I'll put links in the show notes as well for for anything that you've got. And absolutely gorgeous. Like you're such a champion and I can't wait to catch up with you again in person and and hear you sing again and you're just beautiful. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. You're amazing too and I just love what you're doing. It's you. the pillar of strength. It's incredible. And I I want to get to one of these Bali retreats. I said to Matt, right, I am coming to one of the retreats because I, I think I just really need that. And I, I need some time. I've worked all my life. I've had kids. It's time. I just want to have a bit of time to myself. And this is yeah. right up my alley. So Yeah, it's gorgeous. But we'll be running more. I know uh, well, I'm going to Bali today and Mark and I are already talking about our next one and I think, yeah, there's a few things in the pipeline as well for, with doing some, yeah, more stuff next year. And, yeah, we might do something in Byron as well for people that can't get over to Bali. And, yeah, beautiful. I'd love to see you there and absolutely gorgeous. I feel very blessed to have met you, that's for sure. So oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> see you, Meg. See you, Danny. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.